0: You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hydepark.church. Turn to Psalm 135 if you don't mind psalm 135 i want to i want to take you back now this this dedication service and this uh, sermon may not be exactly what you were expecting for a dedication day sermon and trust me when i tell you uh, working through this on my own i kept thinking god is this uh is this really what you want me to share today um i mean this is a historic historic day for our church um but this is exactly what the Lord wants me to share. And there's a, there's a reason that He brought me to this particular text, and it took me a while to figure that out. Because several months, even over several years ago now, when we first got the plans, I don't know if you remember, but as we were going through the process of, of presenting to the church what this project was going to be, uh, Church Interiors provided us with a, a set of not only technical drawings, but they provided us with kind of conceptual artwork on what it would look like. And I don't know if you've noticed, but if you look at any of them in the hall and you look at what's here, it's incredible. It's like a a photograph that was taken in advance of the building even being done. And I can remember when I first opened the first email that I got with those renderings in the email that Randy had sent to me that came from Church Interiors. And I opened them up, and I was just blown away by what I saw uh, in the design work and what it was going to look like, and I, I was just blown away. Well in the weeks after that, as I looked at them and as I prayed about the whole project and where we were going and, and I said last week there was points along the journey that were a little stressful. Uh, you know, you start talking about cost, you start talking about time frame, you start talking about, you know, capital fundraising. And by the way, you guys raised almost a million dollars for this project. As a matter of fact, if we go back, if we go back to when we first did the remediation of the tear out of this building, the money that was given then. We're well over a million dollars that you guys gave out of generosity and sacrifice to make this happen and to move us towards the next phase, which will be the Welcome Center whenever we begin that. So I just want to say thank you for your generosity. That's incredible. And, and all of that off of the heels of two hurricanes uh, that you gave the way you gave. But as I was looking at those renderings and I began to pray, there was a, a thought that came up in my mind, and I've actually got it in my, one of my prayer journals. I just couldn't find it. I know it's there, but I was searching frantically for it, and I couldn't find it. But I remember praying several times when I first saw those renderings as, Lord, thank you for the vision that you're giving us. But I also prayed, Lord, help us as a congregation to not value a building over people. You see, there's been this kind of thing in the back of my head all throughout this whole journey from moving to the gym to over here that I want to make sure that we're very clear as a body of Christ what our mission is and the dangers of falling in love with this more than loving people. You see, this building, the building in the back, the children's building, the Sunday school space, every, everything that we've got on this campus, the land, the parking lot, and everything in between are tools that God has given us to do what he's called us to do, to make disciples of all nations, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to love God with all that we are. All of that is encapsulated in what God has clearly told us to do and what he's told us to be about. And far too many churches, far too many Southern Baptist churches have fallen in love with buildings and programs and fallen out of love with people. So in Psalm 135, we have a psalm here where there is praise and worship for God, but yet right in the middle of this psalm, which is incredible, the psalmist gives a warning right in the middle of his praise and worship for God. Just as we talked last week about those Psalms of Ascent, that that the Jewish people would would quote these Psalms and they would go into the city of Jerusalem. There's another set of psalms that I want to bring your attention to this morning. It's called the Hallel Psalms or the Hallelujah Psalms. Uh, Psalm 118 through 136. Uh, There are psalms that that would be used in those high holy days in Israel. So Passover, uh, the Feast of Dedication, Pentecost. These psalms will be used in the process of preparing for those high days. So they're already in the city. And now they're preparing for Passover or they're preparing for the Feast of Dedication. And these psalms, these Hallel psalms, would be used in the process of getting ready for like Passover, getting the, the lamb ready, getting the meal ready. So as they're doing what God had called them to do, they are singing these psalms back to God. Now, I find it very interesting, and this was the question mark that came up as I began to read these Hallel psalms is there, there's a common theme, at least among four of them, where in four of these psalms, these hallelujah praise courses to God, as they're worshiping in these high feast days and dedication days, there was a warning about idolatry. As a matter of fact, in all of the psalms, you only find idolatry mentioned four times. and all four times, it's mentioned in these hallel psalms. The one that you've got in front of you today is one of them. One thirty-five. Psalm 135 was used in the Passover. So if you get the imagery, there was a lot of preparation that had to be done on the pre- Passover. They, they had to find a lamb that was perfect, no bruises, no broken bones, not sick. They had to prepare that lo- uh, lamb in a very specific way. They had to apply the blood above the door casings of their house. They had to have a meal together that was very, very intricate and very detailed. And they had to follow it to the letter. And all of it was a worship, an act of worship back to God, a moment to remember and reflect on what God had done in the past, but also to celebrate God's grace and goodness in that particular moment. I find it strange that right in the middle of this worship of God, that the psalmist would almost immediately talk about idols. Take a look at verse one. These Hallel psalms are Hallelujah psalms. Have bookends. At the very beginning of the psalm, it says, Praise the Lord. At the very end of the psalm, it says the same thing, Praise the Lord. So he begins and he ends with praise and worship unto God. It says, Praise the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O service of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant or beautiful. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his own possession. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth and the seas and all the deeps. So the psalmist starts out and he begins to call the people together. And if you're if you're in a place with your family or maybe a group of families that's gotten together to celebrate Passover, you can imagine that maybe at the moment they're getting ready to come to the table and have that Passover meal, that maybe the, the elder of the house would begin out by saying, praise the Lord, praise the name of the Lord, give praise, O you servants of the Lord. And everybody's attention would turn on that elder and everyone would gather together and they would quote this psalm all together as a song of worship back to God. He gets to verse 5, and he says, For I know that the Lord is great, that our, lo- that our Lord is above all other gods. Now, you know that in the nation of Israel, in their history, they had this tendency to turn towards idolatry, even in, in spite of all that God had done. Oftentimes, I'll have people that I'm trying to share the gospel with or build a relationship with to share the gospel. Oftentimes I'll have people say this, and maybe, maybe you've said this. Well, if, if God would show up and do some kind of miracle, if he would, if he would show up and, and do something powerful that I could see with my own eyes, or if God would show up so I could touch him, then, then I, will, I will believe. And then I'll turn away from whatever other things I'm believing, I'll believe in God. Well, the fact is, Israel saw over and over and over again the, the miraculous power of God, even in the Exodus the plagues that God poured out upon the most powerful nation on earth. The fact that, that, that when their back was against the Red Sea, that God parted the Red Sea. The fact that, that God provided water out of a rock to make sure that his people had water. He provided quail and manna. He, he provided a cloud by day and a fire by night. Over and over and over again, page after page after page in the Old Testament and in the New We see the miraculous power of God. And yet, we find a nation that even in spite of all those miracles, in spite of all that power, in spite of all that manifest glory of God, turns towards statues. Now, if the nation of Israel, after all that they witnessed and all that they heard, had a tendency towards idols then that tells me something even about our culture today, about humanity today, even people who, who name the name of Christ and have surrendered their life to him, that there is a tendency within us to turn towards lesser things. There's a tendency in us that comes right out of our flesh. If you're born again, you're still dealing with that, that flesh nature, right? And that flesh nature says, let's go back to the way it used to be. Let's go back to our old life. And there's that draw to want to go back. And part of that old life, before you came to faith in Christ, you already had a God that you worship. It was no God at all. The psalmist says, for we know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is above all Gods. It does not matter if your God is money. It does not matter if your God is lust. It does not matter if your God is greed. Every one of those false gods will take you down a path of destruction, and there are no gods at all. And isn't it interesting that in the moment they're remembering what God did in the Exodus, what God did in protecting the nation of Israel, that that when they put that blood above the doorcases of that innocent lamb that they had slain, As they're having that meal inside the house, God said, my grace is sufficient for you and death will pass right by your door. That's what they're celebrating. Isn't it interesting that in that moment that they're celebrating, God says through the psalmist, there is no other God greater than the God Jehovah. Look at verse seven. He qualifies this. Actually, verse six, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven on earth. Whatever the Lord sets out to do, he accomplishes. Whatever God's will is, God's will will be accomplished. We call that the sovereignty of God, that God is in charge. And so when you look at our nation, when you look at all the trouble we're in, I can find great hope and peace in knowing that, that whatever God says he's going to do, he's going to do. And in this book, he's told me what he's going to do. He's going to bring about a kingdom. His son is going to be the king over that kingdom. And it's, he's going to rule, and all those who have put their faith in Jesus will gather with him in that perfect place. The Bible tells me that that God is going to revert everything back to the way it was at the Garden of Eden, but even better, that there'll be no sin that separates us from God, that we'll be in the very presence of God. And for all those who put their faith in Jesus, get a brand new life with a brand new kingdom and a brand new king. So I know how it all ends. And I know what God's will is, not only for this world, but for humanity as a whole. Look at verse 7. He who makes the clouds rise at at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouse. The psalmist is simply saying, God is in control. Let me give you some examples on how I know he's in control. That he controls the weather, he controls the clouds, he controls the lightning and the rain. But not only that, look at verse 8. He says, it was he who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both man and of beast, who was in your midst, O Egypt. There, the psalmist brings the attention back to the Passover. He says, and in that Passover, God struck down every single firstborn of the Egyptians who who were not following or worshiping God. And for every Israelite that put their faith in God by putting that blood over the door was spared. Verse 10: Who struck down many nations and killed many mighty kings. Verse 13: Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all the ages. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. So the psalmist. If you can think about this setting, he's got his family together, maybe several families. The elder is reading this psalm. They're quoting it back, and he's just given lots of evidence on why God is greater than any other God. Now, notice what happens at verse 16. Verse 15, the idols of the nations are silver and gold. The work of human hands, they have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but they do not see. They have ears but they do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. I've been wrestling with that set of verses, well, for weeks now. I've been wrestling with it because there's some things here that the psalmist says, and to me at one of the most inopportune times, The Passover was a time of celebration. The Passover was a time of of experiencing God's grace all over again for what he had done in the past. It was a time for families to be together. It was a time for them to celebrate and remember. And right in the middle of that celebration, the psalmist brings up the idols of the nations around them. idols of silver and gold. The Israelites were very familiar with this. No matter what generation you look at, as a nation of people, they understood this because the nations all around them, the tribes all around them, would have silver statues or gold statues or wooden statues. And those wooden statues were fashioned to look like humans. They had eyes, they had ears, they had mouths. And these people would bow down to them and worship them and give money and give food and and give their lives to a statue that had been formed in the image of human beings. But I want you to see the warnings that the psalmist gives here. And And I think this was a very sobering warning during a Passover meal. Because you have a great contrast here between the God who has intervened in the nation, the one who has provided grace and mercy for a nation, and then you have this other option, this statue, this false God that has been made by human hands. Notice what he says. He says they have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. This is incredible to me, is that that man makes an idol. And then he makes that idol to look like himself. Eyes, ears, nose. But notice what the psalmist says in verse 18. Those who make them become like them. So mankind makes an idol in his own image. And he sets that image up and he begins to worship that image, that idol, whatever it is. And for the, for the psalmist day, for, for the days of the, of the Jews, it was a physical statue of some likeness of a human being. And they would bow down and they would worship this God. But here's what the psalmist says, that the more you worship it, the more you give value to it, the more you pray to it, the more you give to it, guess what happens? You become just like it. That's an incredible thought to me. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches this from cover to cover that you become like what you worship. That's not a foreign concept. What's interesting to me is, is that the psalmist would say that right at the moment they're remembering Passover. That there is some danger in worshiping something other than the real true God. That whatever you give your life to, whatever you focus your attention on, that is what you become. What does he mean within the context of what he's saying? Well, the idol has ears, but it can't hear. It has eyes, but it can't see. It has a nose and a mouth, but it can't breathe. The psalmist says, the one who made that idol is just like it. You see, they've got eyes, but they can't see the wonder and the glory of God, the one true God. They, they have ears, they can hear, but they can't hear the word of God. They can't, they can't comprehend it because they've given their life and their allegiance to something else. They've got breath in their body, but they don't have real life. The psalmist says that the idol worshiper becomes just like the idol, dead on the inside. That if you're worshiping greed, if money is your God, then don't be surprised when you become a hollow human being. Don't don't be surprised when, if you're worshiping money, That you get all you can. You get the first million, then you get the second million, then you get the third million. You're never satisfied. It's because that God can't satisfy you. You've become just like it. Maybe you're worshiping and searching for lust. Maybe that's what's got a hold of your life. Well, guess what? You become just like what you're pursuing. You become a lustful person. You become self-centered and self-righteous and selfish. You know, I know that for most of us, we don't have some idol sitting up in our house somewhere. We don't have a gold or silver statue. But trust me when I tell you, there are plenty of idols for us to be worshiping individually and as a church corporately. And that's why I think it's important for us to be faced face with this today. The reason I think it's so important, just like in the house of these folks celebrating Passover, at a moment of of incredible opportunity at a moment where they're celebrating what God has done in their past and in their present, at a time when they're saying that there's nothing greater than God, there's nothing greater to worship. It's in that moment that they needed to be reminded that we have a tendency towards idols. And just as important as it was in these households, it's important in this household. So why would we want to bring up idolatry on a day in which we're celebrating? Why would we want to bring up the idea that there are other things vying for our attention? Why would we want to bring that up today? Because I think it's vitally important today. God has taken us through a long journey to get to this place. We've been in a gym that was not the most comfortable place to be. It wasn't the easiest place to sit in. It wasn't the easiest place to be part of. Honest to goodness, I, I'm thankful for the little things. You, know, you want me to tell you one of the little things I'm thankful for? Then when I walk on this stage, I don't hear a screech, 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 absolutely. I mean, it's the small things, right? If you're thinking the same thing. The small things, right? I'm thankful for a sound system that doesn't have to be loud, but you can hear it. Right? It did not have to blow your eardrums out, but you can hear all of our singers. You can hear all of the instruments. I'm hearing, I'm hearing uh, Bobby's fingers and, and uh, the, the guitarist's fingers. I can hear their fingers going up and down the strings. Now, I've never heard that before. We have the possibility now of of having people come up on the stage who can't climb stairs. Charlie this morning was able to come up on the stage. You know why? Because right on the other side of that wall is a nice little lift that allowed him to get up on the stage this morning. See, All of those things are blessings that God has poured into this place through your giving, through your sacrifice, through the vision that that you came along with. All of that's been made possible. And trust me, we haven't even scratched the surface on all the stuff that God has given us in this building to be able to utilize for the kingdom. But here's the, here's the thing we've got to focus on this morning, is if we're not careful, all of this stuff, this lighting, this stage, those seats, this carpet, this building can become an idol, and we'll begin valuing this building more than the people God has called us to reach. And as your pastor, I have to warn us about that. I have to. We can't fall in love with a campus or a building. We praise God for having it. We praise God for the fact that we're able to gather here and have all this technology and all this comfort. But make sure we all understand and we're all on the same page. The reason God has provided this for us is not because of us, it's because we live in a county, one of the most lost counties in the entire state. Did you know that 70% of Robinson County says that they don't worship the God we worship? 70%. How is that even possible? we got churches on every corner. How how could it be that so many people, there's more people lost in Robinson County than there's ever been? And if we turn our focus inward, if we turn our focus inward, we begin to pat ourselves on the back on what a great building we have. If we begin to fall in love with this building more than we love kids, and more than we love teenagers, and young families, and senior adults, if we turn our attention inward, then we have turned this into an idol, and I guarantee you, just like with the nation of Israel, that every time they turned towards idols, God stepped in, and he judged them. Church, hear me well, and hear me clear. If we turn this thing into an idol, we will be inviting the judgment of God upon us. We can't go down that path. Let me tell you why. Let me give you five things that we have to be about, and you've heard them before. I've repeated them probably a thousand times, but it's it's worth repeating today. Why would the psalmist, right in the middle of praising God, look at verse nineteen? Just close this out. Oh, house of Israel, bless the Lord. Oh, house of Aaron, bless the Lord. Oh, house of Levi, bless the Lord. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Notice what happens with the psalmist. He goes through the leadership structure of Israel, and he says leaders, priests. Make sure you're blessing the Lord. You who fear the Lord, bless his name. Bless the Lord from Zion. He who dwells in Jerusalem, praise the Lord. So so we end where we began. And right in the middle, there's the warning. And he says, be careful with the work of human hands. There are no gods at all. So here's what we must be about. I think this flows right out of what the Passover was all about. The reason that God said, you will continue to observe the Passover For generations to come, because God always wanted the Israelites to remember what God did by setting them free out of Egyptian bondage. But not only that, isn't it interesting that that God would say, kill a lamb, a perfect lamb, a lamb that has no spot, no blemish, and that its blood is going to be used as a covering for that family, so that when the death angel passed by and he saw the blood over the door casings, that the angel would pass by and judgment would not fall upon that household. Now, isn't that interesting? Because we know Jesus to be the Lamb of God. And we know that He came as a perfect Lamb. No sin, no spot, no, nothing in His life whatsoever. He kept all of the law. He dies on a cross. And then we're called. We're called to take the blood that has been shed by Jesus. And that blood becomes an avenue of forgiveness for us. That the blood of Jesus Christ, when it is applied to our life, and what that means is, is that if you're lost, you put your faith in Jesus, his blood becomes a covering. In other words, it removes you from the wrath of God. The wrath of God will pass right on by you because you're one of God's sons and daughters. So the Passover was not just about the Jewish faith and them understanding what it all meant about the Exodus. No, the Passover points directly to. Jesus Christ, our Savior, our King, and our Lord. So, God gives us tools. And what does he want us to do with those tools? He wants us to make sure that every person knows that there is forgiveness, and there is peace, and there is grace, and there is mercy. That following Jesus is the only life that will bring you every bit of that peace and joy that you've been looking for. So what must we do now that we're here? Well, we celebrate it. We give God thanks for it. But I think there's some other things we must do. First, we must value God's word over man's opinion. We must value God's word over man's opinion. There's lots of opinions There's lots of ideas out there about who is God and who is not. But we, as God's people, we must value God's word. And that means in in the music that we sing and what we're doing every week, that God's word must be preeminent in everything that we're doing. And when you begin to take your eyes off of the one true God and you begin to worship things that are less than, the first thing that gets jettisoned is God's word. The first thing. I can always tell when a church is going down a path of idolatry because the first thing they're going to toss aside is God's Word. Because it's in God's Word, they're going to t- it's going to tell you that the judgment is coming. There's circumstances connected to walking away from God's perfect and true Word. Second, we must exalt the resurrected Christ. We must exalt Christ. We cannot exalt a program. We cannot exalt a pastor. We cannot exalt a worship team. We cannot exalt a membership. We cannot exalt a denomination. We cannot exalt our budget. We cannot exalt our giving. We cannot exalt our programs. We only exalt the resurrected king and no one else. If we become anything else, If we turn towards idolatry, we will begin to exalt our building over Christ. We will begin to tell people, come and see this new building rather than coming and hearing the good news of the gospel. We must exalt the resurrected Christ. Third, we must value people over programs and buildings. We must value people. If we're going to reach our community, if you're going to go out and share the gospel and then say part of that, you're going to invite them here. One of the things I've always loved about High Park is part of our DNA. It doesn't matter what you're wearing. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what you smell like. It doesn't matter what your night was on Saturday night. It doesn't matter what you did last night. When you walk in this place, you're going to be loved. And you're going to know it as soon as you walk in the parking lot. As soon as you get out of your car, you're going to know you're loved. And folks, if we ever lose that as part of our DNA, it is almost impossible to get it back. I cannot tell you how many churches that I've been in and that I have spoke at that I can guarantee you, you will not find the same welcome or love when you walk in the door, especially if you look different, sound different, speak different. And guess what? The world that is lost speaks different, looks different, sounds different than us. It does not matter the color of your skin. It does not matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter if you walked in off the street into this place. We will love you right where you are, and we will tell you about the Jesus that we've found. And it does not matter what you did last night. It does not matter what you did last week. We're going to love you right where you are. And if we ever get out of sequence on that, if we ever get to a place where we value the building more than people, it will show up in how we love people. We can't do that can't go down that path. Fourth, we must take personal ownership of the Great Commission. What does it mean to take personal ownership? Well, that the call to make disciples, it's not just to the pastors. not just to the evangelists. It's not just to those who have the gift of evangelism. It's, it's to every born-again believer. Now, that may take the form in and, and you going out and, and helping a team build a wheelchair around for somebody in need. It may take the form of this afternoon at 3 o'clock, we're going to gather over here in the Rock Cafe. We've got 150 bags of food or 150, uh, well, groups of food or meals that we're going to give out to two different apartment complexes today. And in each of those bags is going to be a Bible. And when we give that food out today, we're hoping that we'll have opportunities to bring Jesus up for us to accomplish the mission that God has given us, it requires more than a staff. It requires more than a deacon body. It requires all of us who've been changed by the gospel to engage. Maybe it's simply walking across the street and inviting your neighbor to come with you. Or maybe walking across the street and saying, come over to my house uh, Saturday afternoon. I'll cook you some dinner. And I want to I I show you the live stream of my worship service at church. Maybe COVID-19. It's got you in a situation where you can't be around a lot of people. Well, that's okay. And I know we've got some watching online this morning. Invite someone to your house and let them join in and, and watching the worship service with you, either live or recorded. The point is, is that we all have to take personal ownership of the Great Commission. And then finally, I think this is probably the biggest indicator that the church is turning towards an idol, is that, this place, this body called Hyde Park, we are called to be a people of prayer. And the fifth thing I want you to know is, is this place must be a house of prayer. You see, if you've got an idol that you're worshiping, this is a good way to know if you've got an idol. What are you giving your time and your talent to? What what is it that is taking your attention? What is it that prevents you from spending time with God? I guarantee you if there's something that is preventing you from spending time with God in prayer, if you look closely, you'll find out that that might be what the idol is in your life. Is it the technology? Is it the internet? Is it Netflix? Is it what is it? Is it entertainment? Is it golf? Is it what is it? What is it that's taking time away from you spending with your creator who's invited you? invited you to be with him. And I promise you, if you'll look where your time is going and your talent is going and your treasure is going, it won't take you long to find out that there's an idol that's crept into your life. So where do we go from here? Well, we keep worshiping, we keep proclaiming the resurrected Lord, we keep praying, we keep seeking opportunities to reach our community for Christ. And this place is a tool that God has given us, a stewardship that God has given us to use to that end. And church, when we stand before Christ, when I stand before Christ, I'm going to have to give an account for how I led this congregation. And what I want to hear when I stand before him is, well done, good and faithful servant. You didn't turn the building into an idol. You used that building for my name's sake and for my glory. We all have to do that because we're all going to be held accountable for that. So this morning, we're going to celebrate the fact that God's given us this. We're going to give him worship and praise for the fact that God has given this. But we're also going to make sure we don't turn this into a false God. Father in heaven, it is with great gratitude and thankfulness that we've gathered here in this place today. I, I'm just amazed at the journey we've been on to get to this place. So Father, we give you praise, we give you glory, and we give you honor. But Father, for this fellowship called Hyde Park, we must keep our focus on the main thing. We've been through a difficult set of years two hurricanes a building that we couldn't use a pandemic all that all that we've had to go through as a fellowship you've been there with us every step of the way every decision every dollar that's come in every every meeting that we've had every every big decision small decision that had to be made your spirit there guiding directing to bring us to this point. But Father, this is not the end, this is the beginning. But Father, that beginning will be compromised if we don't keep this building in perspective. That it's not an idol to be worshiped, it's a tool to be used. And Father, may we use it to further your kingdom. Father, if there's already some folks in this building with idols in their life, for every lost person that's watching this morning online and every person here, Father, they already have a God that they're worshiping. If they've never surrendered to you, they must give up one God, one God who is no God at all, to put faith in the one true God, the only one that matters. That's what repentance is, change of mind, change of heart. Father, for your people who are called by your name, given a new life, Father, may we evaluate our lives, and if there's anything in our lives that has taken precedence over you, may we be willing to repent of that even now. We ask it in Christ's name, amen.